Sunday marked the second day in a row of triple-digit domestic cases of COVID, 206. That's after Saturday's exponential jump to 180 locally transmitted cases. There was also one imported case from India, bringing Taiwan's latest count to 1,682 confirmed cases. Initial investigations into the source of infections have pointed to the Tea House cluster, as well as activities in Taipei's Wanhua district. Let's get the details from the Central Epidemic Command Center. Of the 206 new locally transmitted cases today, there are 90 males and 116 females between 5 and over 80 years old. The period from when their symptoms appeared to the time they were tested spanned from April 6th to May 15th. As for their residency, 197 are in New Taipei City, 89 in Taipei City, 9 in Zhanghua County, 3 each in Yilan and Xinzhou counties, 2 each in Taoyuan and Keelung cities, and 1 in Taichung City. To close the information gap in contact tracing, the CECC has mandated a uniform guideline authorizing local governments to make public certain information, including the gender, age group, and residency of confirmed cases. If there is a risk of transmission, local governments are also authorized to publicize where in the public transport system the infections occurred. However, people's names, medical history and private venues still have to remain confidential. With the surge of confirmed cases, the nation's available negative pressure isolation rooms are down to less than 50 percent, with Taipei and New Taipei bearing the brunt of the scarcity. Deputy Health Minister Shi Chongliang is now asking asymptomatic people to get tested at COVID screening stations so that hospitals can accommodate people with symptoms. Regarding the entire medical resource inventory, it is divided into two parts. The number of negative pressure isolation beds in the country is 658, of which 297 are still empty today. In the Taipei area, the number of empty beds is indeed running low, with only 51 empty beds left. As for the dedicated wards, 172 hospitals with 2,400 beds have been approved. Currently, 1,625 beds have been set up, and there are 1,165 vacant beds. This is what's available for the whole country. But the situation is also tight in Taipei and New Taipei, where there are about 209 empty beds in the dedicated wards. Deputy Minister Shi hopes that the COVID-dedicated hospitals in Taipei and New Taipei can smoothly channel confirmed cases to hospitals that have been fitted with special wards to treat COVID patients. He also said ne- negotiations with two Taipei hospitals are ongoing to see if they can be fitted with dedicated wards. Panic buying broke out as COVID-19 alert levels in Taipei and New Taipei were raised to level 3 on Saturday. Rows and rows of supermarket shelves were emptied as people scrambled to stock up. In response, the Ministry of Economic Affairs implemented a cap of two items in selected categories. It also assured the public that there was no need to hoard. 
More than a dozen customers waited in line outside this hypermarket before it opened, ready to stock up on essentials. They arrived early to avoid having to scramble for goods later when traffic was expected to pick up. I'm afraid there will be a crowd later. I'm only looking for a few things, so it'll be a hassle to have to get in line later. Well, there were a lot of people yesterday, and I'm afraid of cluster infections. That's why I came early today, to avoid the crowd. Inside the store, employees were restocking the shelves with instant noodles. At the end of the floor, where toilet paper was supposed to be, the shelves were nearly empty. The toilet paper section has already been emptied. In response, the store has imposed a limit on selected items. For products such as instant noodles, toilet paper and canned food, each customer can only buy two items per category. As for bottled water, the cap is at one box per person. In addition to imposing limits on purchases, Kafu had also extended its opening hours. Now it's open from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Another retailer, PX Mart, had almost quadrupled its supply of fresh produce to keep up with consumer demand. A Mart, likewise, had limited customers' purchases of COVID essentials, such as face masks and rubbing alcohol, to one item per person. Costco, too, limited transactions to one a day for each member. These measures had not been well received by consumers from large families. Oh, really? Only two per person? In that case, I'll have to take some out of my cart. So for a family of four, each person will only get 1.5 bowls of instant noodles? That doesn't seem to be very ideal. Yes, I can accept that because no one needs that much in the first place. Whether the caps are reasonable is up for debate, but at least the crowds have thinned by Sunday morning, shortening the wait for payment to less than five minutes. At another store, throngs of shoppers were looking to stock up. Many left the store empty-handed, seeing that there were almost no instant noodles, toilet paper or frozen foods left. There were only frozen foods and small bottles of water left. As for fresh produce, they only had green onions. Yes, the stores are restocking, but the shelves are almost empty. There's nothing left. As a matter of fact, this particular store had extended its opening hours to midnight the day before, so customers could go home satisfied with their purchases. This fruit and vegetable market also saw large crowds of consumers. Customers had to leave their personal information at the entrance should contact tracing become necessary in the future. The Ministry of Economic Affairs posted on its Facebook page a picture showing stacks of instant noodles to remind the public that there is ample supply of essentials to go around. Daily production capacities for toilet paper, rubbing alcohol, and instant noodles are also sufficient. The ministry urges people to only buy two items each in these categories and not to panic too much. With both Taipei and New Taipei at level 3 alert, some universities have adopted remote teaching. But what about secondary schools? Some high school students are demanding that distance learning be adopted for all levels of education so that everyone can be better protected from COVID. With the number of local infection cases surging and both Taipei and New Taipei at level 3 alert, some universities, both public and private, have decided to adopt remote teaching. 
Wang Yeli, a political science professor at National Taiwan University, posted on social media a picture of him speaking to a nearly empty lecture hall with the caption, One Person's Monologue Accomplished. However, at present, remote teaching is only limited to universities, and that's something some high school students wish to change. They want remote teaching done at all levels of education. Many are not feeling at ease. Have people around us come into contact with an infected person? Does the route of our commute pass through an area of infection? Or if we're commuting, such as when we're in a crowded MRT going to work, would coming into contact with infected persons increase the risk? He is a high school sophomore. He's come up with a proposal on the government's public policy participation network platform, calling for the adoption of distance learning for schools of all levels in Taipei and New Taipei, and cram schools to hold makeup classes online. He also feels that boarding schools should be suspended. He is concerned about the risk of infection during students' commute, as well as classmates who may have come into contact with infected individuals. He argues that boarding school students can't don a mask around the clock, and therefore classroom teaching should be cancelled and classes should be held online instead. If the epidemic gets more serious, then it should be. College students are more autonomous, so I think high school students and middle school students also need to learn online. Compared to life and death, how to conduct classes is a trivial matter. You can always hold a class later. Urgent times call for urgent measures. You need to have the resolve to terminate classes altogether. Now all eyes are on the proposal. As the epidemic surges, any attempt to reduce the chances of infection should not be regarded lightly. With the number of confirmed COVID cases reaching three digits and the alert level for Taipei and New Taipei raised to level three, the cityscape of both municipalities was akin to that of a ghost town as locals took shelter in the safety of their homes. To effectively implement identification-based registration in the public transport system, CECC Deputy Chief Chen Zhongyan said Sunday that electronic cards such as EasyCard, iCash and iPass for the MRT and buses can all be registered online with cardholders' information. He encouraged the public to voluntarily register their cards to facilitate authorities' contact tracing should the need ever arise. The Tokyo Olympics are just weeks away, and badminton queen Dai Ziying is training harder than ever. Due to COVID, her upcoming tournaments in Singapore and Malaysia are a no-go, and that has given the sporting icon more time to focus on her own range of face masks. Dai has worked with a mask company to produce her own range of face masks. The lightning style features her signature, and the more colorful, fearless, free, her silhouette. Based on the speed of Ziying's spikes, the mask company designed her this lightning style because her playing is lightning fast. She's very confident in competitions and she feels totally free to play fearlessly. Dai was planning to wear the commemorative styles at the Singapore and Malaysia Opens in the coming months. Now those tournaments are off due to COVID, so she's decided to publicize the project early and encourage the public to embrace masks. We also hope everyone will wear a mask to go out. We can be compassionate and help other groups in society. 
Each style has a limited run of just 100,000 pieces. They go on sale on May 20th. One dollar will be donated to charity for each mask sold. Dai's father revealed that while Singapore and Malaysia might be postponed or cancelled, Dai's training schedule is as rigorous as ever. If the Tokyo Olympics goes ahead smoothly, we are still training hard at the National Sports Training Center. The Opens are postponed, so now it's possible that several Taiwanese badminton players will get a place. The Queen is raring to go in Tokyo, and she's looking good in the meantime. In Taiwan, azuki beans are an everyman's food, appearing in street snacks like wheel cakes and sweet soup. But these unassuming red beans were once the pinnacle of sophistication. During the Japanese colonial era, desserts made with the beans could only be enjoyed by the wealthiest families. In tonight's Sunday special report, we take you on a journey through time to explore the history of this timeless treat. During the Japanese colonial period, basic goods were in short supply, meaning most crops were grown for their value as sustenance. Sweets were a real luxury, so farmers didn't cultivate produce for use in desserts. If you were to ask most farmers back then what an azuki bean was, chances are they would say they'd never seen one. During Japanese rule, popular Japanese treats made with azuki, such as wheel cakes, stuffed mochi, and sweet buns, started arriving to Taiwan, where they were only enjoyed by a select few. During the Japanese colonial period, Taiwan got imagawayaki, that is, azuki bean wheel cakes. Azuki beans were very expensive back then, so they would ship them in from China or Japan. They were things that only the more affluent people could afford to eat. Azuki beans have a revered place in Japanese cuisine. They aren't just used to make pastries for traditional tea ceremonies. Their nutritional value and beautiful color made them a staple at religious rites after the 7th century, when Buddhist doctrine banned the consumption of four-legged animals in Japan. In Taiwan, 50 years of Japanese colonial rule deeply ingrained in people's minds the idea that azuki bean was luxurious and precious. The Japanese left, but the love for azuki bean stayed behind. After World War II, azuki beans remained scarce and cherished. But as they began being cultivated in Taiwan, they started appearing in daily life. In the form of treats such as azuki beans on ice in summer or azuki bean soup in winter. Precisely because of their exclusivity, the beans were popular as religious offerings. Offer rice cakes for riches, offer tortoise for longevity. Eat them for good luck, peace, happiness, and beauty. In rural areas, red tortoise cakes were once a delicacy made only for special occasions. They're made with glutinous rice dough dyed white and red and stuffed with a dark-colored filling. The tricolor scheme lines up perfectly with the three main characters in The Oath of the Peach Garden, an event in the novel Romance of the Three Kingdoms. That's why now, when bakers make the cakes, they often recite the names of the three brothers. Today, it would seem that the cakes have always been stuffed with azuki beans, 
but actually, the Itsuki bean filling is an example of Taiwan-Japanese fusion developed after the war. During the Japanese colonial period and even before, Taiwanese red tortoise cakes would be filled with mung beans, sesame, or salty ingredients. Azuki beans were very expensive, so most households couldn't use them. Older people might have thought, during the Japanese colonial period, only rich people could afford to eat azuki beans, but now I can afford them too, so let's put them in the red tortoise cake. The craze for azuki beans fueled their cultivation in Taiwan. Azuki bean farmers have to avoid the spring and summer where pests proliferate and diseases spread. To truly thrive, the plants need to be kept between 25 and 30 degrees. That makes the autumn season in Kaohsiung and Pingdong the ideal time and place for cultivation. The first azuki bean fields appeared here in the 1960s. At the beginning, farmers who grew azuki beans there were a very small minority. That's because, for the autumn harvest, most farmers opted for crops such as sweet potatoes for feeding their pigs or soybeans for making soy sauce. The Kaohsiung Agricultural Improvement Station started cultivating azuki beans in 1968. Originally, local varieties featured smaller beans, and their quality was a bit lower. To make the crops better for our farmers, we started work on improving the cultivars. The agricultural station developed varieties that were easier to cultivate, while producing larger beans and yielding bigger harvests. These new cultivars were offered to farmers. At this point in time, division of labor was rising in Taiwan's agriculture sector, making small farmers more willing to try new crops. <laughs> Pigs were starting to be raised on hog farms, so other farmers stopped raising pigs, and therefore they stopped growing sweet potatoes. Then the azuki beans arrived at the scene, offering better yields and prices than soybeans, so everyone turned to azuki beans. With bigger harvests, desserts like azuki bean wheel cakes, azuki bean soup, azuki beans on ice, and azuki bean jelly became widely popular treats. But then, China started exporting its own azuki beans to Japan. Facing a stiff challenge, Taiwan farmers began to scale back their azuki bean operations. Not only that, throughout the 70s and the 80s, Taiwan's standard of living increased, and the market flooded with new and exciting snacks that made azuki beans pale in comparison. Today, azuki bean sweets are well past their heyday and are now only one of the many options available to consumers. Although the azuki bean is no longer in vogue, some young farmers hope to buck the trend. One of them is Chenan Mao, who in 2008 decided to return to the countryside to work the land. At the insistence of his wife, he harvests his azuki beans by hand. Usually, before azuki beans are collected, the fields are sprayed with chemicals to ensure the plants dry up completely to better preserve the beans. Beans sprayed with these chemicals are often astringent to the taste. I went to Fukuoka in Japan to visit veteran farmers, and there I found out that Japanese people really dislike that astringent taste. The Japanese say that the bitter taste comes from tannins. So we thought about whether we could produce beans without tannins, and it is possible. The first step is to let the beans ripen completely. 
To provide consumers with a safe product, the couple waits until all the Yatsuki beans have ripened fully before picking them up one by one to dry in the sun. Then they inspect each bean carefully before packing them up. The couple hopes that their efforts will create a new market for Yatsuki beans. Over the past few years, local officials in Kaohsiung and Pingdong have also been trying to achieve an Itsuki bean renaissance. With Itsuki bean festivals and an Itsuki bean marathon, local governments are trying to put the spotlight on the places where the crop is grown. They also do this through promoting local foods, such as Pingdong County's secret delicacy, savory Itsuki bean rice porridge. This rice porridge is a staple in Pingdong's farming communities, outside of which it is virtually unknown. These days, visitors from out of town are treated to a bowl at government events. It's very labor-intensive. If their county government holds an event, we might be called to cook some up. Whereas Pingdong dishes up savory snacks, Kaohsiung is all about the sweets. Taiwan's third biggest Suzuki bean production area is Kaohsiung's Daliao district. Here, the local farmers association has partnered with a food company to sell Suzuki beans in the form of foods like Suzuki bean water, Suzuki bean beer, and Suzuki bean paste. In particular, their Suzuki bean paste has gotten rave reviews. Nowadays, people are very busy, so they don't have time to cook the beans. With this, you can open up the can and they're ready to eat. It takes just a second. Our colleagues have test-tasted them many times. In fact, the department head even got fat from this. All those taste tests add up. Over two years of R&D and experimentation, we tested the starchiness, the thickness of the skin, as well as the density to achieve that melting-your-mouth sensation. Daliao's canned bean paste was a hit at its debut. Shortly after launch, the product was selected as a souvenir gift for President Tsai Ing-wen's inauguration ceremony in 2020. We were all thrilled that our Adzuki bean paste reached the national stage. We were all very happy. Since arriving in Taiwan as a high-end Japanese dessert 100 years ago, Adzuki beans have become a staple in the national cuisine. Although they're no longer seen as high-end, their timeless flavor and creative iterations will continue to delight taste buds for generations to come.